Welcome to Theology Matters, a podcast that applies theology to everyday life. This podcast is a ministry of Bible Baptist Church of Sodus. I'm your host, Pastor Jay Riggleman. With me today is Nick Boothman, Associate Pastor of Bible Baptist Church of Sodus. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me. Great to be back with you again. Well, Nick, let's jump right into this. Our topic today is this. What does it mean to fear God? Yeah, great question. And I want to start with um, kind of a sub-question in there. The question, should we fear God? The answer is yes, right? Scripture tells us that we should fear God. And this might surprise and confuse some people because often in the Bible, we see God telling his people, do not be afraid, do not fear. The Bible also says that we should fear God. So which one is it? And the answer is yes, we should fear God, but we really have to break that down so we understand what it means biblically. So the, the first distinction I want to make is the distinction between if you're a Christian and if you're not a Christian. Both groups of people should fear God, but it looks very, very different depending on if you're an unbeliever or if you're a believer. So starting with the unbeliever, the unbeliever should be very afraid of God in the sense that you are storing up for yourself wrath on the day of judgment. So one day, every single person has to give an account for our actions. And those that aren't saved should be afraid of God in that sense because you are storing up for yourselves wrath. You should be terrified of God, and that should actually motivate you to turn to him for forgiveness, for grace, for mercy, for reconciliation. So there's the fear in that sense that the unbeliever has, But at the same time, the Bible calls believers who follow him to fear the Lord. So we really have to unpack that as we go along. What does that mean for believers to fear the Lord? Yeah, Nick, I I think that people bring a lot of uh, human emotion into this topic because um, they maybe in their past have had some experiences where with maybe an authority figure or with a parent or another family member where because of the way they were being treated by that family member, they really feared them, uh, but not in a positive way. So it's, it's hard for them to kind of separate those feelings of fear uh, with the command that we are given in Scripture to fear God. And, and so even as believers, I think they struggle with that. So what exactly does it look like um, to fear the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? Absolutely. Great question. And I like what you said, because I think we take our own thoughts and experiences and uh, have that influence us when we read scripture. So when we, we hear and read, fear the Lord, we often think, wait a second, fear is a bad thing. Fear is, you know, me being afraid of a snake or me being afraid of a terrible boss or an abusive father. That's what I think of as fear. Well, In the Bible, it means something different when it says, fear the Lord, and it's addressed to believers. Here are a few quotes I think that will be helpful for us as we unpack this. It's by Ed Welch in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small. This book I would highly recommend, and it's about uh, the fear of man and also the fear of God. And when he's defining 
fear in a biblical sense, he says this. Fear in the biblical sense is a much broader word. It includes being afraid of someone, but it extends to holding someone in awe, being controlled or mastered by someone, worshiping someone, putting trust in someone. The fear of the Lord means reverent submission that leads to obedience. And it is interchangeable with worship, rely on, trust, and hope in. Like terror, it includes a clear-eyed knowledge of God's justice and his anger against sin. But this worship fear also knows God's great forgiveness, mercy, and love. It causes us to submit gladly to his lordship and delight in obedience. This kind of robust fear is the pinnacle of our response to God. So kind of an example of what he's saying, because he's saying fear in the biblical sense is awe and reverence, which leads to obedience and submission. So if we think about um, a child's relationship to their earthly father in a good sense, that child should not be afraid of his or her father in the sense that, oh no, like every time I'm around dad, like he's going to get angry and I don't want to be around him. That That's um, maybe has happened in not good situations, but in a good situation, that fear shouldn't be there. But there should be a fear that acknowledges my dad has authority and power and honor. So when I'm making a decision to disobey my father, I should have this godly fear that says, if I do this, bad things will happen because I respect my dad and he's going to follow through in a loving way and discipline me. So we can see that even in an earthly relationship, a good sense of awe and fear and respect that leads to obedience. We should have that same understanding of God. Yes, you you talk about the fact that um, developing that healthy relationship with, with God uh, based on who he is. Um, maybe you could, you know, describe a little bit more for us how the attributes of God play into uh, the concept of fearing him. Because in a, limit, in a limited sense, humanly speaking, we, we try to have attributes of God exhibited in our lives. But how, what about God's character allows me to fear him, but not in a fearful way? Absolutely. Um and that, that's a great question because at the end, that's one of my recommendations is to study the attributes of God. Because when we know more about who God is, that helps us grow in the fear of the Lord. And you could, you wouldn't, uh, you could go to any of God's attributes, but a few that would be helpful is God's holiness. The fact that he's set apart from us. The fact that he is holy. He's not like us. Um, and when we understand that, we, we can see how small we are and how big God is. Wow, he is nothing like us. Um, another attribute that you could uh, study is God's omnipotence, his power. The fact that as creator, he set the stars in place. He created the world out of nothing. That really elevates our view of God because we look at ourselves and our own hearts and our own fra uh, fragile bodies and say, I can't do any of that. But God can. He's holy. He's powerful. 
Wow, that, that should grow in my awe and reverence of him, my fear of him. And also, not only those things, but adding to God's love and mercy and grace, combining those things, saying God is holy and other, but he has made a way for me through Christ Jesus to draw near to him. That, that also grows in the fact that, wow, God loved me when I did not deserve it. That grows in my reverence and awe and uh, leads to obedience and submission. Yeah, that's really good. And, and those attributes remind us of how we can maybe walk this balance between uh, not being afraid of God and also fearing the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it reminds me of just, again, the dynamic of the uh, the imminence and the transcendence of God, that God should be uh, revered as holy. He's the God of the universe, the God of creation, but yet he still invites me to uh, to come into his presence. And so he can say to me, don't be afraid to come into my presence, but as you come into my presence, make sure that you respect who I am. Uh, and, and that's really, it can only be done at, on a perfect level by God. Uh, because we see that on a human perspective, but it's often very flawed. So you have those two things that we can actually uh, not be afraid, but also uh, fear God. Uh, They work together. So how does understanding and applying the fear of the Lord help me in my walk with Christ? Great question. So I'll read some scripture so we can see this connection of when we fear the Lord, this is supposed to happen or that is supposed to happen. I'm going to start in Psalm 111, verse 10, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom is applied knowledge. You need wisdom in a lot of different situations. When you're looking for a job, when you're thinking about who to marry, the big stuff and the small stuff. So this connection is really significant where we crave wisdom. What do we do in this situation? God, you're not clear in Scripture in the sense that, you know, what job we should take or who we should marry, even though there's biblical principles. So a lot of times we stress about those things and say, God, what do I do? How do I get wisdom? And this tells us the the building blocks of that is actually fearing the Lord. So taking a step back, God, what do I do in this situation? Taking a step back and meditating on who he is. God, you're the creator of the universe. You give wisdom. You allow me to pray to you, right? You're thinking about all these things and meditating on them, the fear of the Lord, and that's the beginning of wisdom. So if you want wisdom, which we all do, start by fearing the Lord. So that's a huge benefit. If you're struggling with those practical decisions, go to God for wisdom. He, like James says, he's free to give it. It starts with us fearing the Lord. Another one in Proverbs 14.26 says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and their children will be a refuge. So again, a a very big benefit for us that our lives often feel insecure and uh, just shaky where we just look at the economy or anything. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to, you know, how is this going to play out? And this says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. So we're safe in God. He protects us. Isaiah 33, 6 says, He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. 
The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. A great picture in scripture that the fear of the Lord is a key to this treasure box that has salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And one more scripture in Jeremiah 32, 40, that says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me. There we go. Ins- uh, inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. So if you want that constant um, presence and communication with God, I know often in my heart and other people, there, there's a fear of, okay, I'm doing well with the Lord now, but what if you know, I, I take a step back or that kind of thing? Well, fear the Lord so that you will never turn away from me. Pursue the Lord in that way. So it sounds like uh, in, in the list of these benefits, one of the ones that really jumped out to me is that you're, it sounds like you're saying to us that as believers, we will be spiritually smarter if we fear the Lord. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So uh, I agree with you because I, I think as we are looking for that uh, wisdom, that um, application of biblical knowledge, we will, we will apply it more uh, accurately if we care what God thinks. If we're fearing him, respecting him, and all of him want to obey him, we will live smarter spiritually. So that is a benefit of, of fearing the Lord. It's the beginning uh, of how to take that knowledge because uh, you could have someone who knows a, a lot about the Bible. We have examples in Scripture, especially in Old Testament, of people that knew a lot about the Bible, but they lived their lives as if God almost didn't exist to them, and they, they were living uh, disobedient lives, not fearing God, and it wasn't because they couldn't pass the Bible test. And so applying that really directly is connected to fearing the Lord. What's another benefit uh, or another uh, way that we can apply the fear of the Lord to our lives? Fearing God, or the fear of the Lord, is the solution to one of our greatest problems that we have, which is the fear of man. That's how it's portrayed in Scripture. It's called the fear of man. In our day, in our time, we call this something different oftentimes. We call it people-pleasing. We call it codependency, caring too much about what other people think, um, things like that, trying to gain the approval of others. This is the fear of man. And we're using fear here in the same sense that we're using the fear of the Lord. It's, it's much more than we're terrified of people. We have people big in our lives in the sense that we awe and uh, reverent, reverence them, hold them in reverent awe, where we care way too much what they think. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people are terrified of public speaking not because speaking is hard for that person or uh, they're scared of speaking in groups of people. Oftentimes, someone can comfortably speak in front of 20 or 30 people, their family members or people they don't really care what they think, right? They can just speak and it's fine. But you take that same person and you put them in uh, like a church setting, like a Bible study or whatever in front of 20 or 30 people and they care about what they think. Well, now it's, it's game over. I'm not public speaking in front of them. So really the heart behind that often is not the fear of public speaking. It's the fear of man that we care way too much what people think. And in scripture, um, it's actually the solution to the fear of man is the fear of God. 
I'm not going to go through all the examples, but there's a lot of examples in scripture about um, us fearing other people more than we fear God. I'll just list one of them in John 12, verse 42 and 43. It says this in the New Testament, uh, in John 12, verse 42. Yet at that time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. They believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. There you go. They cared. They, they believed. They said, yes, Jesus, what he's saying is true. We believe in him. But when the conflict came and if they stated their allegiance to Christ, they would have been thrown out of the synagogue, which is a huge deal. Uh, and they feared the opinion and what the Pharisees could do to them a lot more than what God could do to them. So they cared more about what people thought than what God thought. So the fear of man and the fear of God, uh, the fear of man is a huge issue. And the solution to the fear of man is to fear God more than you fear others. Matthew 10 verse 28 says this, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So this passage comes in a a bigger context where Jesus just told them that, you know, brother will betray brother and father his child. There's going to be this conflict. Verse 22 of that passage, you will be hated by everyone because of me. So if you're struggling with caring a lot about what people think about you, and Jesus says people are going to hate you because of me, that's a big deal for us. So then when we get to verse 28, Jesus says, don't, don't be afraid of what they can do to you. I mean, they can legitimately harm you. They can kill you. They can throw you out of the synagogues. They can make you a laughingstock. But when we compare that, their power, the, the power of the people with the power of God, going back to understanding God's attributes, that he is powerful, that he is holy, that he can do a lot more to us or for us than these people ever could. So when we're dwelling on the fact of what do these people think of me, this says, don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Have a a fear of God that says, okay, maybe they're going to do these things to me, but if I go with them and reject my God, what is he going to do to me? What is he going to think of me? That's, and when we come to that conclusion about, okay, this is going to be bad on earth, but God is going to be pleased with me, that gives us strength to overcome um, the fear of man because we fear God more than others. Yeah, so it sounds like the, uh, the fear of man is a pretty big deal. It's pretty serious because um, through these examples you've given, um, it seems to indicate there's an eternal um, destination at stake. And I maybe for some of our listeners, uh, even to this podcast, they haven't made yet the decision to follow Christ. And one of the things that's holding them back is the the fear of man, a fear of what family members might think. And and we uh, need to just be reminding them that Christ uh, calls us to follow Him and to put our trust in Him and not be uh, you know bound by the fear of other people. And also, I you know you you alluded to the danger of uh, as believers. 
our sanctification, our walk with Christ um, can be affected very uh, deeply if we are afraid of people more than we fear God in the sense of um, it's a worship issue. Will I worship uh, people or God in this decision I'm making? Because it may be a sin decision or an obedience decision, uh, but it's a worship issue, issue. Who's bigger, in my opinion, or in our opinion as believers when we're dealing with daily life? Is it God or is it fellow people? Yes, and going off what you said, I, I really like this quote by Spurgeon. That Spurgeon said, when the heart is filled with the fear of God, there is no room for other fears. The fear of God must reign supreme in the heart. When it does, it drives out all other fears that would enslave us. Yeah, so you've kind of walked us through how we can apply um, this fear of the Lord in our lives uh, to benefits, but also how it, it helps us to deal with the fear of man. Um, one final question related to this topic, at least for our time today, is how do we grow in the fear of the Lord? We, we, we've talked about the benefits, how we can apply it, but how do we develop it? Absolutely. And I want to start with two um, examples of people in the Bible who had to learn the fear of the Lord. I think oftentimes we label something like the fear of man as something else, like people-pleasing or caring more about the, what the other people think, the approval of others. And then when we label it like that, people-pleasing, we go in our Bibles and say, well, the Bible doesn't use the term people-pleasing, so it can't help me. I have to go to other sources. No, the, the Bible is very applicable. Um, it, you know, it's sufficient in, in all areas to direct us, especially this one, because it, it describes and gives examples of the fear of man and the fear of God often. So I, w- I just want to go through two examples to start. The first is Abraham. So Abraham, if we think through uh, his journey, when God first called him out of his land, we we can say he had great faith and feared the Lord. I mean, you would have to fear the Lord to be able to leave your land and these promises that God is giving him. I'm going to give you uh, an inheritance. You count the stars of the sky. That's what you know, your people are going to be, I'm going to give you land, all these things. There, there has to be some faith to follow God in that moment. But as we go through Abraham's journey, we see that there's still um, a big chunk of the fear of man in his heart. And we see this twice, not once, but twice, when Abraham went to another uh, kingdom, there would be a king there. And when he went there, He lied to him and the people and said, his wife, Sarah, about his wife, Sarah, this is not my wife, this is my sister. That's a bad move, by the way. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) The fear of man uh, may have jumped in there, yeah. (laughs) And as, as you read about those accounts, you even see Abraham's explanation of it and saying, I... I was afraid of what they would do to me. I thought they were going to kill me because my wife is beautiful. They would take my wife and get rid of me. Now, this is a bad move for any of us. Abraham, especially because God specifically uh, uh, promised Abraham that he was going to bless him. And he was going to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. So Abraham should have believed in the promises of God. Okay, God is for me. I, I don't have to lie because God is going to protect me. 
but he cared so much more about what other people could do to him rather than caring about God in his opinion. And then if we go later in Abraham's life, he is about to sacrifice his son, Isaac, (laughs) which is really interesting and curious because God tells Abraham, go sacrifice your son, Isaac, go sacrifice him. Earlier in Genesis, in Genesis 17, God told Isaac that, or told Abraham that through Isaac, he would establish his covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So I'm going to use Isaac through my plan, and he's going to have lots of babies, and, and generations are going to come through him. And then he tells Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And Abraham has a choice here. Am I going to um, rely on my, my fears? I mean, just think about that. If you go sacrifice your son and have to go back to your wife, that's not, explain, you know, try to, try to explain that to your wife, Sarah. Like, what, what do you mean? What are you talking? You did what? Yeah, I, I sacrificed him, right? Or he had a choice to believe God's promises. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to put my faith in God and I'm going to do what he says. And that's what he did. He was about to sacrifice Isaac and God stopped him at the last moment, put an animal sacrifice in front of him, and sacrifice that instead. And I bring this up because after this incident, God says this to Abraham in Genesis twenty-two twelve. Do not lay a hand on the boy, God said. It says he said, which is God. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. That's, that's, that's very curious that God tells him, now that I know, now I know that you fear me. doesn't mean he didn't fear him before, but Abraham had to grow in the fear of the Lord. And we see that through his journey. He, he, he wasn't perfect. He never was perfect, but he had to grow. And that was a big step of faith. And in order to do that, he had to believe in the promises of God, which he had to believe in the character of God. Okay, God is, is not going to let me down. He's promised these things. I don't understand it, but I'm going to follow him above everything else, above all my other fears. Yeah. So again, a great example with Abraham. And um, I appreciate those kind of examples in scripture because they're very human and uh, we can relate to them. And just seems to reinforce what we've been talking about, that the fear of the Lord is not primarily an emotion it's a obedient response to who God is and who he has shown himself to be to us. Uh, so it's not, so we're not a bunch of Christians living in cowering fear. It's really, um, it comes out in the way that we live our lives. It, it, there's a response um, based on the fear of the Lord. It's an action. Absolutely. Absolutely. The second person um, that had to grow in the fear of the Lord is, Peter, we see this clearly that, you know, in the most crucial time when Jesus was arrested, he was confronted by a servant girl, I mean, she, a, a young servant girl who asked him, aren't, aren't you a Jesus? And Peter three times said, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. He denied Jesus in his most crucial hour in a large part because he feared other people more than he feared God. So it's significant later as, you know, uh, Peter became 
one of the leaders of the early church, and, and God did great things through him. He believed in God more than others. And when he's writing in one of his letters in 1 Peter, he writes this in uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. He says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. So Peter has learned that he doesn't have to be afraid of other people. And he's, he's telling us in this early church, do not fear other people. Verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So the second example is Peter who had to grow in the fear of the Lord. And he is telling us that instead of being afraid of other people, you have to revere Christ as Lord. Elevate him in your heart. Because if we understand that he is Lord, he is in control, he has the power and authority, and all people are going to bow down and worship him. If we really understand that, that should lessen our fears of other people. So those are, I know I didn't fully answer your question about how do we grow in it, but I wanted to start with two examples to show that this is possible um, before we go into the, the practical details. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate those examples of Abraham and Peter, and uh, I think you're going to share with us uh, some practical steps in developing that fear of the Lord. So why don't you go ahead and share that with our listeners? Absolutely. Share those with our listener. Absolutely. Nerves. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, how do we grow in the fear of the Lord? Replace true thoughts with false thoughts. I wrote that wrong. Replace false thoughts with true thoughts. That's Good backwards. catch there, Nick. <laughs> I should read over my notes, shouldn't I? So we need to take those false thoughts that we have and replace them with true thoughts. This is a, a biblical idea. It tells us in Scripture to take every thought captive to Christ. And if you think about your thoughts throughout the day, that makes you afraid of other people. If we think about the fear of man, here's some thoughts that you might that might uh, percolate in your minds throughout the day. What if my boss doesn't like me and I get fired? What if I say the wrong thing in a meeting and people laugh at me? What if I bring my kids over on a play date and the other mom judges my parenting and think I'm a bad parent? So a lot of those thoughts are most likely fueled by the fear of man caring a lot about what they can think or do to you. So if you take those thoughts throughout the day, I'm going to use the example of the last one. What if I bring my kids over on a play date and the other mom judges my parenting and think I'm a bad parent? So if those thoughts go through your mind, you spend time with God and actively replace them with true thoughts. So replace those thoughts with God is the judge on whether I'm a good parent or not. So thinking so much about what, what do they think about my parenting no, what does God think about my parenting? It takes you a step away from the other person and focuses you on what is true. What does God think? And, and evaluating that way, it pushes the pressure off of that other person. Another true thought, the Bible says that I fall short of perfection every single day, even in parenting, and God still loves me and shows me grace and mercy. So again, focusing away from their thoughts, what do they think of me? What does God think of me? Well, in my justification before God, he loves me and shows me grace and applies, if you're a believer, the sacrifice of cross to your life. Another thought you can replace is, if my kid sins when I'm there, 
then it is an opportunity to be faithful to God and shepherd the child's heart and show him or her love and grace and mercy and patience. So actively, you're taking those false thoughts and replacing those where are true. And when you do that, our thoughts influence our behavior and emotions. So that's number one, replace thoughts, false thoughts with true thoughts. The second thing you can do to grow in the, the fear of the Lord is study God's character and attributes. We already talked about this a little bit where we need to sit down with scripture and look at his justice and holiness and love uh, through special revelation, but also um, through general revelation. We can go outside and, and see that this world is amazing and it's created by a creator who is powerful and creative. And we need to constantly dwell on those things so it elevates God in our hearts, which uh, de-elevates other people. The third thing is actively pray. Be honest with God. God, I care a lot about what other people think. I don't care as much about what you think. Help me. Forgive me. I want you to be elevated in my heart and my life. Please help me do that. And the fourth thing that we can do is to act. This is really important. A lot of times our fears debilitate us where uh, public speaking, for example, not saying everybody is supposed to be a public speaker or is gifted in that way, but uh, public speaking comes up. I mean, you work at a job and you have to give reports for meetings and all those different things. And a lot of times we position our life where we shy away from our fears so we never do them. And I would suggest that we should push into our fears because when we're in those moments, it's an opportunity for us to rely on God to get us through it, which elevates the fear of God in our hearts. So our actions influence our um, emotions and our thoughts. It's, it's interacting with each other. And just to give you an example of my life, uh, I don't know if you know this, Pastor Jay, but I have, like, early on, I was a terrible, like, I was terrible and frightened of public speaking. Like, I never in a million years would imagine that I would be doing this partly as a living, right? This As mm-hmm. a pastor, you got to right. public speak a lot. And this was, I would have a couple, you know, weeks before I would have to speak in class, I would have these panic attacks and had to stay up all night. And even when I became a Christian, it, it just wasn't natural to me. It's not something I would gravitate towards. And I just felt God's calling into ministry. And instead of running away, I, I, I wanted to push into it. Okay, God, if this is where you want to use me, even if it makes me terrified, I'm going to push into that. And I still get terrified a lot of times when I speak in places that I don't know the people because of the fear of man. What are they going to think of me? I don't know Mm -hmm. these people. Okay, at least at church they know me. So these thoughts are going through my mind, and I try to push into those things and uh, try to not avoid them. Okay, I'm not going to speak at a place that I don't know or I'm going to be afraid, but actually do those things because it's through acting um, not acting like in a play, but like, uh, doing the motion, like actually acting on it. It's, it's where we grow in the fear of the Lord when we're trusting on him through the action. Yes. And I think I know, knew a little bit about that, but, uh, yeah, as we, even as, as pastors, we struggle, uh, with these things as we're sharing. Um, and even if we appear to be confident, we still have this 
fear of man in the sense that who doesn't want to be a, you know, have approval or, you know, encouragement from people after you speak. And when that doesn't happen, you can sometimes second guess uh, what God has called you to do or what he's called you to say. And, and that can be, you know, a hindrance to ministry. So, you know, fear in and of itself is something that God has given to us. And what we've really talked about today is who are we going to fear? Who are we going to fear? Uh, and if we spend more time fearing God in a sense of worship and awe and trust and obedience, it will help to uh, deal with any of the other type of expressions of fear that we have towards people um, and, and the boundaries that the fear of the Lord has, uh, has been designed to create for our lives. And I just want to say one more thing before we finish to those that may be, or those that are listening. Um, one of the primary reasons for the fear of the Lord in the Bible is to show us that we need a Savior. And so again, if, you, if you've never um, expressed faith in Jesus Christ, um, you can do that even now as you're listening to the podcast, put your faith in Christ alone that God has provided uh, to take care of our sins and to uh, release us from the fear of deserved judgment uh, because of our um, our disobedience, our sinfulness. And so we can do that. So, hey, that's all the time we have for uh, questions today on Theology Matters, um, which is a podcast that applies theology to everyday life. Please join us next time. Nick, God bless. You too.